relax, and enjoy the Merry Trump Show. This is so cool. Um, I'd say it's great to see you, but I can't see anything. I apologize for the sunglasses, but I stared into a solar eclipse for too long. <laughs> so bright lights are problematic for me. Um, but seriously, it's, it's so phenomenal to be here for our very first live in-person Mary Trump show with Nerd Adventures, and I so appreciate your being here. And I want to start by asking this question. Who's angry? I'm so fucking angry. <laughs> and I, I think about this probably much more than any sane person should, well, I'm <laughs> okay, sane. Um, and one of the reasons I think about it so much is because the right seems to think that they are the only people on the planet who have a right to be angry. They're angry because their white privilege is being threatened. They're angry because their leaders are maybe just starting to run into a little bit of accountability. Maybe, I mean, you know, the, the jury, so to speak, is still out on that. They're angry because they can't always get away with doing anything they want to do whenever they want to do it. They're angry that people are starting to push back. They're angry because they might, might finally have to share with everybody else. Why are we angry? We're angry because they keep trying to take our rights away from us. We're angry because they keep trying to make it harder and succeeding in making it harder for people of color in this country to vote. We're angry because every single election is the most important election in our lifetime and it's unsustainable. Because every single election, it is a battle between democracy and fascist autocracy. And it's really fucking exhausting, quite honestly. So I think it's important to remember, though, one of the reasons they're angry is because they're terrified. We, on the other hand, had the anger of the righteous. So we are here tonight at Dynasty Typewriter with all of you because the goal of the Nerd Avengers is to figure things out, find solutions, and make things better. We're just not angry for the sake of being angry. We want to make things better, one show at a time. Because seriously, 
One of the things that's really important about the Nerd Avengers is every nerd has a voice that is essential and needs to be heard. So tonight, we have put together what I think is going to be a phenomenal example of what that means. So let's shift our focus. Let's let go of that anger and start being proactive. And to help me do that with all of you are two Nerd Avengers all the way from the East Coast, Waj Ali and Jen Taub. Jen, I, you know, I was, I was actually going to make Jen stay backstage because uh, she has a new excellent podcast called Booked Up. And uh, she interviews, the only people she interviews are people who've published books. And um, I haven't been invited on. <laughs> well, I, I just got told today by Jen that I got bumped. Uh, and yeah. she told me just casually while eating my uh, broccoli. So that's fine. That's yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he's bummed. I'm and not bitter, though. I, I'm, I am. <laughs> I'm angry and I'm bitter. So, but we, you know what? We, we, need, we have a seat that needs to be filled. So, Jen Tab, come on out. Seriously. We love Jen. We do. We love Jen. Can we say, though, that Jen... It, Jen, for the last two months, we, have, we, have, we had a very entertaining text thread, which I wish I could share with you, uh, and that we could give to the select committee that, that could be published. Uh, Jen has shown us her outfits for the past two months, and spent a lot of time on this, and she has decided upon this. Give it a, come on, look at the shoes. the shoes. Check out the shoes. And the watch. She bought a watch just for you guys. Okay, don't even fucking try. You, first of all, first of all, it was not broccoli. What was it? It was Brussels sprouts. Right. So it is, you know, shading the truth. And also, you are both on the spreadsheet. Yeah, that's comforting. All right. <laughs> that's like inshallah. That means we will never, ever be invited on the show, but that's okay. All right. Our company is not complete yet. We have a special local guest which is really important to me. And this man is so phenomenally talented and he's such an amazing human being. He's a two-time Emmy Award winner. He's a comedian, he's a writer, and he wrote and co-directed the Academy Award winning film, Two Distant Strangers, which is so phenomenal. Trayvon Free, come on out. It's so amazing to have you with us. All right, our group is complete. So we are going to shock all of you by doing what we always do for our shows. And um, it, it was hard to think of things to say, to talk about, because it's so boring lately. <laughs> Nothing has happened. Nothing's happening. You know, I, I actually, um, that Chinese proverb, may you wish in interesting times, it's actually a threat. Um, and I keep saying, I cannot wait to be bored. It's never going to happen. <laughs> so today, uh, we had what may well be the last January 6th hearing um, before the Republicans, right? No, give it up. Give it up to the J6 committee. 
Oh my God, I'm sorry. I I brought my phone because I might, just in case my daughter called. It's Brian. <laughs> I'm not answering it. I can't believe Brian called. Okay, <laughs> anyway. If, Brian, Ka Brian Karam. Brian Karam. Journalist who has a, yes, give him yeah. a round of applause. Yeah, no. A fellow nerd adventurer who has a, 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 a penchant, as the French say, for, uh, <laughs> for interrupting. I, I Mostly me. Are you all, all listeners here? Who knows who, who Brian? Yeah, okay, yeah. of course. So I love Brian. He's like, he's like my older brother, though. Hello? Are you kidding? He's, he's calling her now. Wait. Brian? <laughs> Wait. Slow down. I can't, I can't hear you. Sorry, Mary. He's literally on speaker a lot. Can you? What, what's going on? Well, we, you know, Brian, I didn't even fucking get a chance to say anything yet. Can you wait? Can you call back next week? What? Are you oh. with, listen, cub reporter? Go back to the White House. Brian, can Go away. Right, he's out. He's off. I gotta go. Goodbye. <laughs> Brian Caramel. <Carver. laughs> oh, that's just brilliant. Anyway, <laughs> Brian couldn't be here tonight, but decided to be here anyway. Um, so, and, and I'm sure he has a lot to say about, about the January 6th committee hearing today that Jen already would have said, but uh, we're going to go ahead and just, first of all, appreciate the fact that we had this committee. Because on January 3rd, yes. Um, on January 3rd, the Republicans are gonna take over the House and turn their attention to the really important business before the American people. Um, Dick picks! Sorry, sorry, I was too excited to say Right, that. I know. It, My it, bad. It, it, well, I think Benghazi should be at top of the list, but yes. Hey, Mary. Um, sorry, I know you're trying to get things going, but I realize I left my Diet Coke backstage. Oh, I have a button for that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Oh, there it is. Awesome. Oh. Thank you, Diet Coke Thanks. men. <laughs> Anybody needs a Diet Coke, just let me know. I have a button. We're good. All right. I might have to go. I don't drink Diet Coke, but I figured everybody should have a Diet Coke button. It's a very Trumpian joke, by the way. <laughs> Is it? I've oh. heard stories. I've I didn't stories. know. <laughs> I, I had no idea. Uh, so, Do you also have Adderall or no? <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Ooh, sorry. Sorry. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. So... No, I only stare at solar eclipses. Otherwise, we have nothing in common. <laughs> so, but seriously, th this committee has done extraordinary work, and um, I have to confess that I was a little disappointed uh, by today's hearing because one of the things that's worried me all along is that certainly the Republicans and the committee influenced by Cheney and Kinzinger we're going to try to make everything Donald's fault, right? So that they could, when they get rid of him, um, because I don't, not because of the insurrection, 
not because of the big lie, but because he decided to sell digital trading cards. <laughs> <laughs> that the party was going to say, hey, look, we got rid of our problem. It was all him. We're fine now, and we can win elections again because we're not really fascists. They're fascists. So, Jen, am I being too negative about today's, uh, the, the content of today's hearings? Yes. Okay, so, Trayvon. <laughs> no, seriously, say more, please, because yeah. I think it's important to keep things in perspective and I not mean, be angry all the time. I think you're um, cautiously pessimistic, Mary. Okay. Um, in that we've been burned before. You know, yep. I, I don't need to tell anyone here how many times we were hopeful uh, your uncle would face some accountability before, during, and after his pathetic presidency. And I can understand that. And I can especially understand the concern that in the effort to try to create um, acceptability through so-called bipartisanship, this is ignoring the fact that Donald Trump is still the leader of the Republican Party, that there was no you know, bridge too far, you know, racism, fascism, homophobia, rape, crime, whatever he was doing was perfectly fine. And even the insurrection itself, we know that McCarthy tried to shut down the commission. So you're yeah. not, um, and also um, on this point, I was reading through the report today, at least the you know, first hundred some odd pages from the uh, executive summary. See, nerd. We're no, nerds. She, she literally was sitting here reading through the report an hour ago. She actually asked me. She, I was trying I bring to this concentrate on stage with me? and they were no. talking to me. Uh, yeah, so it turns out that one of the you know prideful moments in the report is that they said you know we almost exclusively interviewed Republicans at, you know as part of this process, and it's like they they put the list of Republicans. There are like sixty of them, and then Democrats one. Yeah. Does anyone know who the one Democrat was? Jocelyn Benson, Michigan. And so, and then there was a list of like 20, you know, non-affiliated people, like the officers and so on. You know, okay, so does that mean the public is going to have more confidence in the report? I don't think so. I think what matters here, so here's the positive part of it. These are really serious charges. Yeah. And they're not just serious charges. They're ones I'm well familiar with because they're staples in white-collar crime. Mm -hmm. And they come with serious sentences, and they're, you know, I think some of these are going to be easy to prove. And so now it's in Jack Smith's special counsel's hands. You know, and the difference between him and Mueller, oh, yay, Jack Smith. Yeah. Um, <laughs> nice to know there's a Jack Smith fan club okay. here, yes. You know, he, you know, on the one hand, um, he's not afraid to bring tough cases that he'll lose. On the other hand, he's lost or had a lot of the things he's brought overturned. So we'll see. Yeah. Any uh, Merrick Garland fans out there? No. Okay. <laughs> Just checking. Um, that was nice. Nice pity applause from Mary Garland. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate that. Uh, Trayvon, do you do you share my cautious pessimism? Um, you know, again, I want to be fair. I think this this uh, committee has done extraordinary work, and I do think that their work made a difference in this election. However, that having been said it feels like we're talking about the same potential legal jeopardy Donald's in for a very long time, and the door is still closing, which has been closing for 50 or so years now, and that door's still open. No, I mean, I, I totally 
feel the same way. I, I feel like Lucy's pulled the football from me way right. too many times yeah. throughout this process. And you get you get so excited and you're like, oh, it's finally gonna happen. They're gonna put him they're gonna put him in handcuffs, right? And you're like, right. what happens? Oh, we don't have any recommendations for entering and Mueller's not gonna do anything. All these people are clear as day telling you this person committed all of these crimes, did all these things. Yeah, but there's nothing we can do about it. And so, I mean, for me, I, I, the only thing I find admirable about Donald Trump is his ability to <laughs> escape any level of accountability yeah. or responsibility for Correct. anything he does. Yeah. Like literally the highest crimes in the country. And he's still just like hanging out golfing, uh, campaigning for people who are losing elections now, like yeah. it's it. I I can't. It's like a I, superpower. Yeah, it really is. Like I I genuinely, I wonder what that superpower is. Color of his skin. I don't know what that <laughs> might be that Orange? keeps him from ever being held accountable for anything. I don't know. Well, he has a lot of help, right? Yeah. You know, it, it it's was not simply. Well, <laughs> I was going to say it's not simply that he has the skill. He doesn't have any skills. It's it's not simply him. It's it's this seriously lifelong. Um, not I can't even say ability. He has just been fortunate in so many ways, but in this way in particular, in finding people who like the way I always put it, he's always found or smarter, more powerful men have always found him useful. So, so they are willing to let him slide in order to fulfill their own agendas. We do potentially, though, seem to be at a turning point there. And I want to... Um, the useful idiot. <laughs> yeah, kind of the useful idiot, except that um, he still has enormous amounts of power. You know, he's still the leader of the Republican Party, and um, even if elected Republicans don't want him to be, they're stuck with him, and I think that we need to hang him around their necks like an, an albatross. But, yeah. you know, I kind of want it, to... It's completely related, and we see a similar thing with Twitter happening. Um, so, you know, say whatever you want to say about the January 6th committee hearing, but I also do want to kind of turn towards the, the debacle with Elon Musk and what we saw happening in Qatar uh, yesterday. Yeah, so both Trump and Musk are uh, protected and coddled by whiteness, privilege, and wealth. Uh, and they're mediocre yeah. men who- They're been, also men. And they're mediocre men who've been allowed to fail up in life, uh, which is another superpower for <laughs> yeah. really wealthy white men uh, yeah. in America. Uh, and with <laughs> too soon, no. My bad. <laughs> Not um, and I think with, with Trump, it's one of those situations where I'm it sorry, really is. It re with Trump? With who? With Don oh. Oh my God. <coughs> Donald! <laughs> who is in no way related to Mary Trump, the best Trump. That was supposed to be, that was a very applause line. Applause line. Very subtle. Very subtle. But Thank like, you, you know, I, 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 I want to spend a second on what on Trayvon said, right? Like the superpower of Donald Trump, like the superpower of whiteness, especially if you're a person of color in this country and you see what's happening, the two different standards of justice. Like I always joke, it's like dark humor here. I look, it's our job to be creative, right? Yep. I can't even imagine a bunch of black and brown Muslims 
like a thousand of us going to the capital, <laughs> speaking in Arabic and Turkish and Urdu, <laughs> and peacefully protesting against gun violence. Like there would be chalk lines, we would die, all right? <laughs> the fact that a bunch of white folks can do it, and that nothing happens to them, and the guy who incited them on tape and 60 Republicans openly said, yeah, this is the guy who did it. In addition, top of my head, the dude crimed openly in New York. In Mar-a-Lago, the guy openly took census sensitive classified documents that betrayed our national security and the national security of our allies, and then lied about it to the FBI, another crime, and then kept it in Mar-a-Lago, which a report just came out today that said, oh yeah, it was completely unsecure. Awesome. And then let's just go up to Georgia. In Georgia, he's on tape. You have him on tape saying, find me the votes. I want to find the votes. Which is uh, election fraud, by Are the way. Are trying to give me an anxiety attack? Yeah. <laughs> right? So... So then, and, and then, oh yeah, by the way, January 6th, right? So that's yeah. four on the top of my head, and that guy is selling NFTs right now. It's like amazing. <laughs> and eating like, uh, like hamburgers and drinking Coke, and you will never spend a day in life, in my opinion, in prison, even though I do think you'll get indicted. And then you see Elon Musk switch over to Twitter, right? A man who was promoted, and I think this were another superpower of Trump, which I want to, I have to give, give him credit for this. The power of narrative. And you're just never going to learn, are you? Donald, the, <laughs> who is not related to you because you're the best Trump, the only Trump. The best Trump, the finest Trump. Okay, we don't have to keep Trump. doing that. <laughs> I just want to trigger Mary right now. Uh, I also want to give Mary a saxophone and put her on the Arsenio show in 1992 right now. <laughs> That's for the old heads. Um, but Elon, you know, another power of, of Trump and Elon, uh, Donald and Elon is... Uh, the, the power of narrative. Yeah. They were able to bullshit a story, mm -hmm. the art of the deal. He would not have become president right. if he was not able to manufacture a fictitious narrative about his alleged success. Mm -hmm. To the point where when Macaulay Culkin goes to New York, <laughs> who does he meet? Home Alone 2. Yes, uh, Donald. And then Elon Musk, going now to Twitter, for years promoted this narrative, genius. Mm -hmm trailblazer from his own bootstraps, not the apartheid money right. that his parents gave him. Oh, he discovered Tesla bullshit. He raided, took it over. Wait, are, are emerald mines emerald worth mines. money? Oh, They're... yeah, I think they do pretty well oh, on, okay. the, on the great market. Uh, and then, uh, then you see the ego and fragility of these wealthy men and, men and women who you mentioned, in the, I think, in the beginning. The part and parcel of MAGA and the support for MAGA is not just your, your, your Rust Belt white my favorite white, by the way, is the moderate white. It's not just the Rust Belt whites. It's the wealthy whites. That was a letter from Birmingham jail joke. I yes, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, but it's, it's the wealthy whites who are trying to suppress the woke, people of color, women, Muslims, LGBTQ community, who have the audacity to speak out against these institutions and reform them. And yep. you see Musk now being promoted by Peter Thiel and these other tech boys to take over Twitter, to own the libs and own the woke, Mm -hmm. And you see him now, and I'll, I'll pivot. He was in Qatar for the World Cup next to Jared Kushner mm. and Saudis. And I'll say this before giving it back to Mary, that who is the second biggest shareholder on Twitter? Saudis. Who mm. also has a big share? Qatar. Who got a $2 billion loan from Saudis to start their business? Jared. Really? Huh. <laughs> wow. That's all I have to say about that. So, so basically what you're saying is there have been a lot of coincidences happening. Coincidences, yes. Hmm. Yeah. Huh. Sorry, it's taking a little bit to process. 
that. Um, yeah, so Jen, we're screwed. No, okay. <laughs> if you can I gave take you a lot there. I gave you a lot there. This is how we're doing this, this taking is, our mics off the this stand now. This is why Watch. anger is a theme. Um, yeah. Because, well, you know what? Let's, let's pull back for a second. Um, all of that is true. And these people will continue to do what they do because they are allowed to. Um, you know, they, they're put in power or they are elevated, and it's, it's exactly like what happened with Donald. Well, you know, I mean, he's, he's in the Oval Office now. What are you going to do? And then it shifts Jen to, well, he was in the Oval Office, so what are you going to do? And I can't remember who it was, but um, I, actually, I think Norm Ornstein, one of our wonderful nerds, uh, said, yes. He's, Let's give it up for Norm. Yeah, Let's totally. give it up for Norm. He's great. He's awesome. Um, you know, we, we live stream the hearings, and he said that he believed that uh, Merrick Garland should have appointed a special counsel much sooner, but couldn't do it too early in Biden's presidency because it would have seemed partisan. And if Democrats keep thinking like that, they just, he just incited an insurrection. Like, what's more partisan than that? And failing to say, wait a minute, this far, no farther, is what gets us into this mess time after time after time. Am I once again overreacting? <laughs> okay, you don't need to answer. So is this I, a I have my validation. <laughs> so instead of you know, being forced into this yes or no answer, Mary. I think that, <laughs> I think I'd like to look at some of the timeline here. Please do. Merrick Garland didn't, and I'm not a Merrick Garland defender, right? I've been very critical of him. Recently, I'd taken a turn after he did the, allowed the, you know, um, search of Mar-a-Lago, and then I was disappointed when he appointed Jack Smith. But... Merrick Garland was not confirmed to his position until March. By then, it was kind of too late. Like you needed, it was so, it was, it was, it was in January and early February that the outrage um, was still present. The public's memory is short. The Republicans, Donald had already figured out how to apparently pay people off by having them come down and golf with him at Mar-a-Lago. Yeah. And that's when Mark Meadows was, um, not Mark Meadows, the other guy. Kevin McCarthy, right, was mm -hmm. no longer interested in having the bipartisan commission. Same thing with getting a special counsel appointed. I mean, that needed to happen right away. And the reason why it took so long to get an attorney general is you know who. Who was it? Would, uh, took, um, is this a trick question? Can <laughs> no. Matthew McConaughey. Exactly. It's right, always right, Matthew right. McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey, who you know was Senate Minority Leader, is always... <laughs> oh, yeah. Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell. Thank you. Close. <laughs> and uh, Mitch McConnell was... You know, we, we didn't have a real Senate majority. And there right. was that power sharing. You know, so right. they... I, I, I want to say I really wish... But then, you know, there are many months in between March and whenever. So yeah. I do think that he should have early on appointed a special counsel to deal with the most important thing that he let 
go, which was the recommendation in the Mueller report, volume two, yeah. for um, obstruction of justice charges. That's right. And th that was just, you, you had to make a decision there also. Yeah. Uh, as you know, his, uh, Michael Cohn had pleaded guilty to the campaign finance violations related to the Stormy Daniels payments. Why didn't Merrick Garland pick that up? And so on. So there's a lot that went down. So, you know, here we are. It's late. The day is late. But I think Jack Smith, I'm hoping, thinking that he's got a window now. If he doesn't indict before the end of February, my view is he, you know, he should just fuck off because this that's the window now. It it is sort of fascinating though. Sorry, how... I swear a lot. Are we not allowed to do that here? I don't fucking care. Go, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> No, you know, when, when, when I'm on somebody else's show, I always ask because it's like, how can we, when? I said, you always ask before, not after. Yes, yes, sword. yes, after. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, Jen. Um, no, but seriously, like, I, I ask because you never know. But then I think, how can we live through the times we're living through without swearing? Um, it's sort of cathartic sometimes. Um, but Trayvon, we we always seem to be in this position where the only party who believes in democracy, at least nominally, is also the party least willing to fight as hard as possible. Like, we need to put our brass knuckles on. And it wasn't just the delay in dealing with the insurrection. Um, it's things like the frigging tax returns. Somebody re said about, because the Ways and Means to Committee is making a decision right. tomorrow whether or not to release them. I'm like, are you kidding me? And somebody said, well, you know, it would seem petty and partisan if they did that now. I'm like, what, it would seem petty and partisan to have damning information about the, the only Republican who's currently running for president in 2024 and is trying to destroy us. Yeah, I mean, it's someone needs to remind Democrats. Maybe, maybe we need to have like a Marvel movie marathon on the Capitol <laughs> to remind Democrats that superheroes are allowed to fucking fight, right? Yeah, like, there you go. You don't have yes. to be. You can be good and punch someone in the face, right? That's right. You can be good and fight. Like you don't have to. Taking the high road doesn't mean like. Well, we don't want to get into a nasty little sparring match with the Democrat, with the Republican. Like, no, like, you can do things, get in the mud and fight with them. The That's whole right. reason they keep kicking our ass is because every time they challenge us to a fight, we go no because we're we're morally object to fighting with you, and yes. we have to find a new way to circumvent the things that you are doing that are very effective and very mean and very bad but we want to find some, like, it, it doesn't work. It's how we got here. It's refusing to do the thing that we know is right. We know it's right to charge him for the things he's done. And that's everyone right. goes, but it's never been done before. Well, that's why you fucking make rules. Because, yes. so, because someone's going to do it. In case that's someone right. does it, there's a rule to deal with that person. And that's so right. someone did it. It took... 240 or however many years, That's right. but it fucking happened. Now we pull out the rule book and we apply it. It's that simple. Well, can I say, you know, we love Michelle. Who doesn't love Michelle? Uh, and when Michelle said, when they go low, we go high. Michelle Williams? Michelle Obama. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You might have heard of her. Up and coming career. Like I have. Uh, as, as a writer. Um, yeah, she does. She, she has a future. <laughs> yeah, she has a future. 
but I say when they go low, you bear crawl and you take out their legs. That's right. And, <laughs> and if they're standing in front of you, to put it in your brass knuckles and you punch the Nazi in the face, mm -hmm. figuratively. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> she's like, eh! <laughs> I'm actually Literally. a pacifist, but Nazi. Actually, the one good thing is that we found out like the bar, right? The last six years, like what's the low bar for Republicans? And we're like, all right, <laughs> NFTs and don't go full Nazi. You can go half Nazi. <laughs> right. But when Kanye went full Nazi, they're like, now it's time to delete the tweet. We've had up praising him. He went full Nazi. Half Nazi's okay. Uh, I know, I, dark, I this is where thought, we are. I always thought NFTs were Nazis for Trump, but I guess right. it means something <laughs> completely different. And oh, this is why this is why he has the Oscar, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. This is why he has the Oscar. But yeah. what what I will say is this: is you made the the Lucy Charlie Brown reference. Like I always say, Democrats bring a pencil to a knife fight, mm -hmm. and Mitch McConnell brings a rocket launcher, right? <laughs> right? And then instead of stabbing Mitch McConnell with the sharpened pencil, we stab ourselves in the eye, <laughs> and it's so frustrating. Mm -hmm. I remember on your show, the Nerd Avengers said, and I wrote articles about this that it's time for Biden to call this radicalized and weaponized conservative movement because it's not just Trump. Right, I think this is very so. important for people to know. Oh, Donald. It's not well, just Donald. I will me, figure I'm it out by the end. I'm just ignoring it. Just, yes, it's I not just I will figure it out him. by the end. Mary will punch me in the face. It's um, only been a year. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's not just Donald. It is an entire radicalized and weaponized fascist movement. Yes. And if you think I'm being hyperbolic, I will say that the majority of Republicans who were elected in the 2022 midterms Promote and support the big lie. That's right. The replacement lie called the replacement theory is a white supremacist conspiracy theory that has radicalized terrorists to commit violence against black people in Buffalo, Jews in uh, Pittsburgh, against Muslims in New Zealand, mm -hmm. against Latinos in El Paso, and Elise Stefanik, the number three Republican, promotes the replacement theory and a majority of Republicans believe it. All right? They yeah. still support Trump who incited a violent insurrection. It is a violent radicalized movement and we have seen being nice to the movement, you know, saying, hey, can we just talk, doesn't work. You have to yep. punch them in the face, and you have to call them for the fascists that they are. And when Biden, in that, you know, in that, um, I think it was Maryland, in the, in the donors meeting, it was reported that he called it a semi-fascist movement, right? Mm. Ooh, he calls it semi-fascist. What's going to happen? You know he what happened? He was half right. The majority. <laughs> what I, no, but I'm telling you this. The fight, right? The fight is that he was half right. When he gave that defense of democracy and he called them mm -hmm. out, the majority stood up and said, yes, damn it, fight for abortion rights, fight for democracy, fight. And what happened, as we said on your show, the number one or the top three motivating factors for people were fighting for abortion rights and fighting for democracy, kitchen table yeah. issues. Yeah. And I, th I think it is really important uh, to do what the January 6th committee didn't do today or, and what the Republicans don't want the rest of us to do. And it is to... I think we not we cannot ignore Donald, unfortunately, because he's too dangerous to ignore, but to concede that he is a symbol of a very long-standing problem. He is he is a, a symptom of a disease that has been allowed to metastasize for decades. And we have plenty of evidence, Jen, that this is not the work of one man. This will not end with him. It did not begin with him. And we see this as, as certain things play out, like the, um, the racist use of um, th things like critical race theory, 
uh, and you know, lying about critical race theory uh, and saying that you know it's taught in K through 12 schools. First of all, critical race theory is a very necessary and kind of advanced uh, legal theory, and there's nothing wrong with it. It's just the truth of the matter is it's not taught <laughs> in K through 12 schools, but to use it in the way somebody like Glenn Youngkin used it just tapped in to the knee-jerk racism of a bunch of white suburban people. And we see how, how uh, the fascism and the autocracy play out in the way uh, politicians like Ron DeSantis um, implement things like don't say gay. Uh, we see it in many states where they are trying to create curricula that teach revisionist history. And the, the main goal of uh, teaching history in certain schools, especially in places like Florida, is to protect the feelings of white children by pretending that one, America is not a racist country, which it is, and two, that things like slavery didn't happen. <laughs> and three, that American heroes like Harriet Tubman and Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and on and on and on need, cannot be mentioned in the context of history because that would mean telling the fucking truth. I, that was great. Okay. And I think that there's a question in there. There's always a question. And so I'm going to answer you just the have one to figure out what that it is. I heard, which was, Jen, what is critical race theory? <laughs> um, as it happens, that I, wasn't the question. Well, that's the question I'm going to answer because <laughs> really, I think it's one of the. So you know, people use these labels and say, you know, CRT is good or it's bad or it's not taught. Well, you don't even know what you're talking about. I mean, some of the great, I, you know, as a law professor and former law student. I happen to know when critical race theory was developed and who developed it, Kimberly Crenshaw. Some of the best legal scholarship I read as a law student mm -hmm. um, at Harvard, I just have to say that because my parents paid a lot for the education. <laughs> um, actually, I took out some loans, so I'm still resentful about that, but anyway, no, kidding. It's great, it was great. Um, so no, Kimberly Crenshaw developed it at Harvard Law School. Derek Bell, um, one of my favorite legal scholars, wonderful man, he actually was a Harvard Law professor and left because they wouldn't ever hire a woman of color. And he, as a protest, went and taught elsewhere. I can't remember if it was NYU or Columbia. I think it went to Columbia. Oh, yeah. And then Patricia Williams kind of saved my life with her book, The Alchemy of Race and Rights, a bunch of short stories about contract law. Like, they showed me a different way. Did you read any of this stuff? Did you, did you think you would ever hear that sentence oh, sorry. In, in a theater? But, the point Short stories is, about contract the law. The point is, and I'm going to, I'm not, I'm simplifying, and I think, but I think what critical race theory is, is it's about yes. looking at politics and law through the lens of race and think about the, the way, um, you know, uh, racial inequality or race, racial dynamics inform our understanding of structures of power. Now, God bless your children if they can understand that in elementary school. <laughs> That's where you learn it, right? Elementary I mean, school. But, but, but children actually, did. but in, in all seriousness, children are aware. You're aware of your race from the first time that you see someone who looks different than you. And so these are conversations we have in different ways. And there's nobody who's white in America, at least growing up when I did or, or now, who doesn't see or understand 
white privilege in some way. So talking about that seems perfectly normal to me, but again, I don't think folks are reading Derek Bell, Patricia Williams, or Kimberly Crenshaw in elementary school. And I really wish, anyway, so that's one thing I would say, but yes, this has been, it's a way of scaring, scare, what the attempt now is, because the Black Lives Matter movement doesn't scare white suburban women voters anymore, and mm -hmm. you saw the kids out in the streets protesting and supporting and understanding the problems uh, about police brutality. Yeah. So now they're trying to say, oh, well, CRT and whatever else is coming for your children. And it's like, well, who are my children? I, I want my children to, to know this stuff. Right. And, you, you know, Trayvon, that's, it's such a good point because it, there's always um, something else that they, that they turn to. Right. You know, okay, um, a lot of white people supported Black Lives Matter. A lot of white people protested, um, and I, that was the first time in my lifetime I'd ever seen such diverse groups of people protesting uh, for black rights. And and then suddenly, it's about CRT, and then it's about scaring the shit out of people about trans girls wanting to play soccer or something. So the, it's it seems like it's very wily. They're always, they always have another place to go to stoke fear. Yeah, I mean, the game is discrimination whack-a-mole, right? Like, yeah. every yeah. time you, you find one thing and it becomes effective, they find a way to find a new thing to distract from that thing. Well, it's not about BLM now because that's so acceptable that it's painted on the ground out front of the White House. Now we have to find a new thing to scare people away from, from progressivism. And it's uh, trans people who want to swim in college or who want to play sports in high school and, or it's banning books, right? It's all these things that people are doing that... Uh, just keeps moving the goalposts so that we can continue, uh, like Toni Morrison said, to be distracted. The distraction is the game to yeah. keep you from being, to keep you from prog progressing. It's as long as we make you fight for the basic thing that you need, as long as we continue to distract you, to make you do that thing over here, you're never going to actually make any real progress. And so it's when you can teach young people that that's the distraction, and the thing that they're actually trying to distract you from is actually good, good for you, good for society. Republicans realize the modern world has no place for the way they think. The modern world has no place for the laws they want to pass. The modern society has no place for the world that they want to still live in from the past. And so it's a, the only thing they have left is to try to keep their children from knowing the truth, right? Yeah. And so you ban books about gay people and you ban books about black people. And you it, it, it's kind of funny that some of the most illiterate people in the country are banning books, right? <laughs> like, like yeah, well. it's like, like Stevie Wonder boycotting porn, right? You're like, it does not really make sense. It's not a thing you understand on a fundamental level. And so it, 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 it's a difficult fight when, you know, in states like California and New York, where we are encouraging people to read certain things and be a certain way. And there's nothing, at least the, to my knowledge, that we can really do to undo what they're doing in places like Florida and Texas, yeah. where they're taking away education from kids. Because what I think it encourages and what it creates is it's going to continue this fight where those kids are going to grow up not knowing 
the things that they should have learned, and we're going to still now have those same kids who will be adults voting for the same people, voting for the same ideology with the yeah. same mentality, yeah. and we just kind of have to figure out a way to stop the cycle. And I think I, we're, we're, we're here until midnight, right? <laughs> <laughs> We're not. So, <laughs> unfortunately, we're gonna we're gonna shift gears in a second. But I, I think it's the context in which we need to keep that in mind is that the other side is trying to make the world smaller, and make it harder for the rest of us to um, empathize. It's it's very difficult as somebody from New York or California to get it. You know, um, to 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 see where they're coming from when they are trying to make it harder and harder and harder for people who aren't like they, them to live. <laughs> and uh, I think the, the complicating factor there is that our system benefits that attitude. And we need to go into this fight with that understanding. And I, I think the best way uh, to accomplish real equity and democracy is just keep listening to the Nerd Avengers because we're going to solve all of the ones <laughs> quickly in the end. Then we're gonna... So, uh, you know, the first time uh, that... Oh, I by the way, just so we're clear, Trayvon is now a Nerd Avenger. So we're not letting him go. No capes. No, no capes. capes. The, the first time I got hit with a racist statement and I've gone around the country and I've asked other people of color this and the age is usually the same. The age that most people hit me back with, what was the first time someone said something racist to you? Age five. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, age six. Where? School. Yeah. School is where most of us learn our place in the American hierarchy. And someone that came up to me and said, why is your skin color the color of poo? And I'm like, I don't, I don't speak English. I really didn't speak English. <laughs> I spoke three phrases of English. But school... And that is, wasn't one of them. That was, yeah. I uh, did okay. not learn poo. Uh, school has always been the central... Uh, fighting ground for the culture war. And, and after Brown versus Board of Education, the culture war was always around desegregation in schools, and then came abortion. And so everything has come full circle, and I'm in Virginia now, uh, and I, could, I was warning the Democratic Party about this when Youngkin was running. Yep. Loudoun County was the, if you will, the testing ground. Loudoun County, by the way, is one of the wealthiest areas in Virginia, one of the last school districts to desegregate. Republicans poured all their money where all their strategists ran with the CRT scare against BLM and transgender kids, wanted to see if it worked. I kept telling everyone, because everyone's like, oh, young, uh, McAuliffe is going to cakewalk. I'm like, you guys aren't paying attention. Yeah. This is terrifying suburban parents. They think that we're turning their kids into like, transgender kids who hate white people. And who wins? Youngkin wins by two points. That's right. And they've now gone across the country, and Christopher Rufo, who helped create this, like a very helpful Bond villain, literally in the first 10 minutes of the Bond movie, is telling you, this is my strategy. I'm creating this manufactured boogeyman. This will win. And we're like, hmm, what's their end game? And we're like, oh my God. And so my frustration here is the fact that we still don't fight for it because Democrats, in order to pacify, everyone say, don't talk about the trans. It'll scare the Rust Belt whites. So yeah. don't fight for them. Be quiet. And instead of fighting for them robustly, we keep quiet. They take over school board after school board. But you said you wanted to end on hope. And this is a hopeful thing. The strategy for Republicans is to intimidate every single lo local school board. Money has gone in to take over the school boards. Republicans come and ban books. 1,500 books have been banned in the past year. 
people have no idea. However, we have the numbers. Yeah. And when we step up locally for every school board, they get shut down and we win. Yeah. And, and I just want to add one other thing and then we're going to get to a Q&A because we want to hear from you guys. Um, when we tell our base that the way for us to win is to defer their rights, we lose. So enough of that bullshit, Democrats. Your base is people of color, it's the LGBTQ plus community, it's people who are empathetic and who care about democracy and who want this country to be a democracy for all of its people. Our base is not a bunch of white supremacist Nazis uh, who um, seem, seem to be given a lot more respect by <laughs> their party than the Democrats give its base. But anyway, we're gonna go to Q&A. Thank you, I hope you enjoyed this, this portion of our uh, show. Um, thank you guys. Okay, anybody have a question? Bueller. Bueller. There was a I hand. think we got there mics. We hand. got mics to the left and right, I think. There was a hand right there in the middle. Oh, there we go. We got one right here, too. Oh. Yeah. I don't know. We ask ourselves that question all the time. No, literally, so, Mary so, so. asked that question during lunch. I did. I did. It's like, you know, Kirk Bardella, fellow nerd, um, and I are always saying, where are the billionaires who are going to create our media companies? Like, every single nerd adventurer should have his or her own show on, an, on a network that counters the fascism of outlets like Fox. And instead, CNN is, is out to become the next Fox News, right? So I don't know. We keep looking for them. Hopefully they're under a rock somewhere. Uh, Steve Bannon did say that the enemy is not the Democrats. The enemy is the media. Yep. And he was onto something. And if you take away a right-wing media, you take away disinformation, propaganda, white supremacist conspiracy theories, and you help de-radicalize millions of our fellow Americans mm -hmm. who don't have horns on their head, they're just fellow people yeah. who now believe the big lie. And if there's a billionaire out there in LA, please invest in a media company. <laughs> <laughs> so given the change in democratic leadership with the younger generation taking over, what do you think the odds are that they will actually be acting, functioning progressives? for us. I, I, oh, sorry, I, yeah, Jen, go. I'm thinking, that's such a great question, because I really was is. thinking when, um, pairing that with what Waj was just talking about, about school boards, I think about Mallory McMorrow from Michigan, which is my, my home state, and how instead of being intimidated by the sort of boogeyman of saying it's, as if it's bad for your children to be who they want to be and show up in school the way they want to, present themselves, that's something good. And she called out the bullying, and she stood up for kids. And she was it was an incredibly popular, popular message. So I think she's an example of that younger generation. Um, and I don't, think it, I don't think age matters. I mean, you can have a progressive attitude about things. I mean, look at Joe Biden, Doc Brandon. I mean, he has done <laughs> so much for so many people in this country. I think it's the most successful presidency. And he really had a slim 
very slim, almost majority in the Senate, and he's accomplished things. So I think it's yeah. really about deciding, you know, as Trayvon said, do we want to progress? You know, as, as Marion Watch said, do we want to have a society that embraces all of us, or do we want to, you know, try to revert back to the origins of the nation where there was, you know, white landholding patriarchy suppressing everybody else? And those are facts. Yeah. You know, I don't want that. Um, if you have a question, come on up to the, the mic. Also, to answer that question, 2022 midterm elections, the youth mm -hmm. showed up. And yeah, give it up to Gen Z. We thought, we were told that the youth were apathetic. We thought, I said on your show, I don't know if they're going to show up. They showed up. And they showed, it seems that if you take away a 50-year constitutionally protected yeah. right, people get pissed. Yeah, he owes me a spa day because of that. Um, <laughs> just really quickly, um, my daughter, for reasons that are very difficult to explain, has no interest in politics. <laughs> and uh, she told me that, and she hangs around with a lot of people who also aren't interested in politics, and she told me that the Dobbs decision was a huge turning point, not just for young women, but also for young men. So let's hope they keep showing up because it's their, their planet we're destroying. Hi. Hi. I'm so happy to be here and to see you. You are really one of my... One of my heroes, honestly. Oh, thank you. I love what you've. Thank you. I love what you've done for everybody, honestly. And I, I love your podcast. Um, my question: you were, you were talking about being angry. Um, Paul Gosar, Jim <laughs> Jordan, Mark Meadows, Lauren Boebert, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Stop! You're hurting okay. me. I, I, like, I'm how, like, how, how, how is it that these people aided and abetted this insurrection, and they're they're reelected, and do you think they're going to be held accountable? That I'm so angry about that. Yeah, um, I, I I have a quick answer, and if anybody else wants to take it, um, gerrymandering uh, is one reason. And when the people at the top of the party accept that, then why should they? It's the same thing with Donald. Like, why should he change his behavior? You know, it's worked for him. It works for them. Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is one of the most vile people I can imagine on the planet, is the de facto leader of Republicans in Congress. Yeah. I just don't know why the DOJ... I mean, I, I feel like they should have been arrested on January 7th. They should have been arrested. You know? and, and actually, <laughs> Trayvon, we've talked about this a lot. Yes, absolutely. What do you do with a system that's so broken it can't police itself. And we now have insurrectionists running our government. I mean, the short answer is you get rid of it and start over and build something new. But that seems yep. to be a taboo thing to say in this yeah. country. I'm, I'm all for when that. When you recognize though. a system that was built and poisoned from the very beginning, right. doesn't work for you this many years later, that throwing it out and starting over is so, so bad. And yeah. So yeah. I guess we got to keep fund the police, <laughs> fund them, overfund them, give yeah. them more everything because that works, and raise the defense budget by tens of billions. Of, yeah, yeah. Hot taxes. Anyway, we're, can I answer? We're, can I answer a question very quickly? Accountability? No, they will not be held accountable. No, they won't. And, and 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 what Mary said was, uh, it it works. It works for them. And Marjorie Taylor Greene is now the base and future of the party. It's terrifying. Sleep well. Yeah.
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On that happy note, thank you. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. All right, we're going to have one more question, and then we have a special segment of the show. Okay. Hi. Hi. So as a member of the younger generation, I mean, the first federal election that I was old enough to vote in was 2020. Mm. And for people coming of age now, it just feels so hopeless and like we're just in this dark pit. Uh, and all of the older generations are just clinging on to power. What advice would you give to people around my age and younger? Great. <sighs> yeah, no pressure. Um, Sorry. <laughs> well, no, no, no. It, it, it's a great question, and it's, a, it's one of the most important questions because everything that's wrong right now is going to affect you guys more than it's going to affect the rest of us. And unfortunately, uh, one, one of the problems with uh, the human species is that um, we really are motivated by self-interest. So um, if people feel that, that it doesn't affect them, they're less likely to engage. I think, I think the Republicans, uh, the Supreme Court, especially with the Dobbs decision, uh, overstepped. I think you all are all engaged now. And I think your willingness to stay engaged and to keep fighting the fight is going to motivate People in my generation, well, the millennials and the Gen Xers, uh, forget about the baby, no offense, if anybody. <laughs> um, seriously, because, because I think we've, we have, for various reasons, just whether it's hopelessness or it's not having seen enough change or not feeling that uh, we, the, the only choice for us is to opt out of the system, um, we also, a lot of us, need to to feel motivated in new ways and and it not to put all of the pressure on you but it kind of is because seriously you gen z will decide the fate of this country by turning out or by not turning out is that right uh, and uh, let me say this other thing and that's I, a good thing by the way that you you're have not, power you have so much power go ahead you're not just a voter you can be you can have power and find an election, run for something, the smallest thing, whether it's a local school board or a committee. And in, I'm assuming that you don't have $100 million to buy a Senate seat. Yet. <laughs> Just wait. So uh, the reality is there's a lot well, of she, money. She should fund our show. If she has yeah. There's a lot of money that's necessary to run for office in most places. Um, hard to unseat an incumbent, even of your own party. So start small, get a name for yourself, and, and get your other friends to do that. Yeah. And then people will support you. And I think it's, you know, as we were saying, school boards, local elections, state office, so critically important. Can I say as a dad of three kids, can I put on my dad hat? If yeah. I don't mind? All right, so I have three really cute, Caramel mocha skin kids. Uh, and I give them trisyllabic names to make their life very difficult because <laughs> if I had to suffer, they have to suffer. Uh, and I know we're running out of time. But Wash. listen, Wajahat uh, Ali. Oh, okay. uh, I refuse to give them an inheritance of being a righteous victim. You will suffer. You will suffer well. Your job is to sit there and take it. Don't rock the boat, row the boat and smile. And I want to acknowledge on behalf of our generation that your generation is dealing with challenges that none of us have faced. That's right. Student loan debt, 
climate change, a mother effing pandemic, and now monkeypox, and the rise of fascism, right? So I want to acknowledge that. Is that all? I know, I mean, it has to be acknowledged, but, but look at this, this lineup. When I was growing up, back in the day, to have a black man, a Jewish woman, a Muslim man, and a Mary. And a total wasp. Uh, <laughs> right? To have, my fault. To have a, a black president, to have a even common. Wait, I'm gay. What, huh? I'm gay. Oh, wait, oh, wait. Oh, hallelujah. And, and a lesbian woman, right? Yeah. On the stage, speaking out, speaking out like this uh, would be unheard of, unthinkable. Even when I was growing up, every generation has its challenges. You have more than most. But complacency and apathy, although cheap and lazy, <laughs> right, will not push the ball forward. And so you have to engage. You have to learn from the ancestors like we learned who pushed the ball forward so we could all sit here. And I still believe, inshallah, God willing, right, we will win in the long run. Thank you. Nice. And, you and you also have to remember... You also have to remember they want you to not care so bad. Yep. They want you to just not care. They want you to be apathetic and lazy and think that nothing matters and be cynical. They want, they need you to feel that way because when you don't show up, they do. And that's how the cycle continues. And, and it's, it's, it's unfortunate that that level of stress and pressure is put on you and your generation. And it's the unfortunate situation the country finds itself in as you come of age. But in order for it to ever be different for your kids or your kids' kids is someone has to put on the armor and fight. And if you have to dedicate your coming of age to saving the place that you hold dear in the place where you were born, it's, it's the, arm, the battle we have to take up. And you, I go back to, to the 60s and you look at the revolutionary way that black people and white people who were aligned with those people fought for yeah. the things that we now have and are, and people are trying to take away from us. And it's it's what they did. And you have to remember that above all else, you can always fight. You can always get a group of people together and, and march and protest and stand up for your beliefs because they want to see you disappear. They want to see you That's stay right. in the house and be on the internet and TikTok and complain all online. Like They don't want you being soldiers for, for, for progressivism. They want you to disappear, yes. and you can't do it. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it, and I, we forget sometimes, but they never stop. The Dobbs decision overturning Roe v. Wade was 50 years in the making. We win something, we're like, oh, hooray, we don't have to do anything anymore. Well, that's why we're- Even the, the Supreme Court, all the judges. 50 years in the making, 50 years and in the Leonard making. Leo just got a billion dollars. Uh, Leonard Leo is a guy who engineered... 1.6 billion, actually. Yeah, 1.6. Leonard Leo is the, the right-wing kingmaker who engineered the right-wing court, and he just got $1.6 billion donation from a right-wing billionaire. And to do what? Like, seriously. Like, what is it? Well, let's not, let's not go down that particular rabbit yeah. hole. Mm -hmm. um, thank you for the questions. They were phenomenal. Um, so... We as we've mentioned a time or two, are nerds. We are the Nerd Avengers. We do not wear capes. Um, but, you know, we, we're always kind of trying to figure out who's kind of the nerdiest of the Nerd Avengers. Um, but in, in coming up with a, a contest for that, I really there are many different kinds of nerds 
You know, there are superhero nerds, there are sci-fi nerds, literature nerds, et cetera, et cetera. So I thought I would ask these guys some questions. They get to pick the topic. And uh, so what we'll do is uh, I'm going to start with Jen. She'll pick her topic. Uh, The choices are literature, movies, theater, science fiction, Marvel DC Universe and polit well you know what let's let's not do we I think we talked enough about politics and we're clearly all politics nerds uh, so those are your five choices and this is how it's going to work every time if she gets a question right she gets a point and then she gets another question until unless and until she gets a question wrong so at the end whoever gets the most points wins something extraordinary besides <laughs> the title of Head nerd. Well, actually, I'm head nerd, but you know what I'm saying. There uh, can be only one? There can be only one. Right. Thank you for the one person who understood that exquisite Highlander reference. Thank you. I <laughs> I'm not that kind of nerd, apparently. <laughs> okay, so, Jen Taub, what is your category? Can I find out what the prize is first? Should we reveal the... I, I, it's too valuable. Okay. It's just, I'll still play. It's worth trying oh, to... Why, you're not going to try to win if it's not a good prize? Should we wear the hats? We should wear the hats. You know what? Can we wear the hats? Yeah, we have to be... Uh, Costumes. Right. We have to look like complete idiots when we're doing this. <laughs> I'm going to try not to go blind. Why did she get the shiny one? I don't know, man. Did you get a shiny... Oh, plaid. Look, I, all right. My hat doesn't fit, but I want I like the work. plaid. You look very okay. nice. We look like a... Nerds, right? Bunch of nerds. You know what? I'm not doing it. <laughs> I just want to let everyone know there's a Muslim wearing a Santa Claus hat. Do I uh, have to? In LA. <laughs> this is the first for me. Thank you for that applause. I appreciate it. <laughs> I'm waiting in the uncomfortable territory here, but all See, right. We're, so, an atheist, a Muslim guy, a Jewish woman. Anyway, <laughs> so I'll we, I'll we I'll walk do. onto a stage and we put on. Uh, okay, what is your. You look fabulous. What is your um, category? I forgot the categories. No, I'm oh. kidding. Um, the first one, literature. Literature. Wait, wait. You're an English major, so this is, this is. All right. We're, I'm just saying, we're all. Right, she has an majors, advantage, but that's okay. She, well, yeah, but I mean that's sort of the point. Like we all have nerd specialties. Okay. I'm all right. Be rigged. Ready? Yeah. In 1979, Susan Gilbert and Susan Gubar published a book of literary theory called The Mad Woman in the Attic. What 19th century British novel... Oh, come on. Easy. Easy. Shut up, Watch. Yeah. I'll let you finish. I think the audience maybe wants to finish your question. The Mad Woman in the Attic was a category in which 19th century British novel? Uh, Jane Eyre. Okay. One point. By Charlotte Bronte. Well... Who had many sisters? She had four. Anyway. Oh, wow. (laughs) Who is the mad woman in the attic in Jane Eyre? Another softball. That is Mr. Rochester's first wife. Don't you have a name? Oh. (laughs) Josh, Josh, I'm thinking. Bertha Mason. Oh, nicely done. Woo-hoo! That was good. Okay, two points. Next question. Okay. Where did Bertha Mason and Mr. Rochester first meet? 
Will you shut up? <laughs> we, have, we have three English majors here, by the way, if you yeah. haven't figured out. If you can't tell. You're really, you, no one said you had to comment. Every it's so time. easy. These are like softballs, man. Come on. West Indies. West Indies, very good. And please, no commentary from the Vienna Gallery about how easy these questions are. What 20th century novel tells the story of birth, I know it. Oh, sorry. Birth of, birth of Mason's life and fateful meeting with Mr. Rochester. And it's told from her perspective, Wide Sargasso Sea. Very good. Also made into a movie in 1994. Oh, my God. Which is a pretty good movie. <laughs> All right, you, you know you what? I should check it out. It's actually a pretty good movie. You're going to get your turn. I'm going to start calling you Brian. This is L.A. I yeah, know exactly. my crowd. <laughs> okay, Brian. All right. I'm switching gears on you, even though, well, it's my game, my rules. The January 6th committee made criminal referrals of Donald Jessica Trump to the DOJ. For <laughs> Thank you, Randy Rainbow. <laughs> Mary couldn't resist. I love it. <laughs> uh, to the DOJ for violation of four criminal statutes. Name one of them. Just one. Seriously. Jen can name all four. Gary. I can yeah. name all. Can I? Just one. Extra but points. If you, no, there are no extra points. Do you want the the like number of the statute yes. or the name? Just yes. The whatever. <laughs> As if I would know. I feel like I have to give you all four. Okay. Well. 18 U.S.C. 1512C, obstruction of a congressional proceeding. Mm -hmm. 18 U.S.C. 371, um, conspiracy to defraud the United States government. Okay. 18 U.S.C. 1001, which is the false statement statute, but it was also combined with a conspiracy to commit a false statement, but that's fine, so it's kind of five. And then the last one was um, insurrection, 18 U.S.C., oh, shit, 2863? Yes! Oh, yes! <laughs> and we were applauding this, the fact that he got charged with them, as well as your brilliant performance. No, so he wasn't far. charged yet. Those are the referrals. Well, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, Is yeah, there yeah. a second place, you know, like, Okay, gift? well, she has five points. We're, we're going to keep going. Ready? Yeah. What is the capital of Assyria? What? <laughs> is that even a country? Agraba. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, well, listen, five points. Five points. That's good. All right. Wash, can you do better? First of all, what, what is your That topic? was very good. Let's give it up. That was very good. That was very That is very tough very competition. <laughs> the Assyria question. And, like, doing sorry. that with those shoes is terrifying. Right, do we have insurance? Speak for yourself. Um, the Assyria question was kind of a... Kind of an asshole question, but uh, yeah, those, but those. you know, yeah. it's it's part of a theme. Ah. Sorry, sorry. All right, pick your okay. category. Uh, movies. All right, movies. Let's do All movies. Right. Movies. For those who don't know, and this is this crowd might be surprised by this. One of my first passions uh, was actually to become a film director and writer. No one would empathize in LA with this. No. Uh, <laughs> so because I'm back in LA, I will say movies. All right. All right. Let's see if I got it. Nobody else is going to be able to answer this. Nobody. All right. What is the name of the movie on which The Thing, directed by John Carpenter, was based? First of all, John Carpenter's The Thing is a near-perfect movie. And there you go. I think and if fair. you have not seen it, you're failing yourself and your parents have <laughs> failed you. I've never seen it. Okay. Uh, you have to watch John Carpenter's The Thing. Uh, 
The Thing, John Carpenter's The Thing, is actually a remake. It was based on a 50s movie called Thing from Another World. That's it? Uh, 51, produced by Howard Hawks. Very good. Very good. All right, one point. One of John Carpenter's favorite actors also starred in a non-horror movie with two Monty Python alumni. Who is she? All right, you want to you wanna nerd out? Okay. Please. Here we go. That's why we're it's here. It's Jamie Lee Curtis. Yep. However, for those who don't know, she was actually in two movies <laughs> with Monty Python stars. The first one, I think the one that you're referring to, is one of my favorite movies of all time, Fish Called Wanda. That's it. In which we learned that the London underground is not a terrorist movement <laughs> and that the central tenet of Buddhism is not every man for himself. <laughs> what people don't know, she was also in the sequel that less people saw called Fierce Creatures. That wasn't as good. Not even close. But a good answer. Yeah, I was right. Two points. Yeah, there you go. Two points. Right. Which member of Mighty Python's Flying Circus was drunk throughout the filming of Life of Brian and the Holy Grail? Chapman. Graham Chapman. Three points. <laughs> wow. Unfortunately, also succumbed to alcoholism. And he did indeed. Uh, but he was brilliant. I mean, it, especially, especially in Monty Python and Holy Grail. Funniest movie ever. How many? You got three? Three to five? That's three. All right. You've got two to tie. In Monty Python's Meaning of Life, every single one of these is considered sacred. Uh, This is probably uh, the only reason why men uh, are still valuable and needed in the 21st century. (laughs) (laughs) And the answer, and I can't believe I'm saying this on stage, but this is why my parents came to America, is sperm. Yes. Four points. Four points. So he could say sperm live on stage in public. Very good. Mashallah. All right. For to tie. Tie. Many members of Monty Python appeared in non-Python movies. Who once co-starred with the great Robbie Coltrane? Oh, Eric come Idle. Come on, that's so easy. Eric Idle, Nuns on the Run. Eric Idle, yes. Nuns on the Run, uh, and uh, came out in 1990. And very. Has anyone seen Nuns on the Run? No. Yay! Wait, am I right? It's a phenomenal. I, I, I love that movie so much. And it did come out in 1990, and you do not get any bonus <laughs> points. Five points. <laughs> All right. Five points. To pull ahead. And, and rest in peace, Robbie Coulter, who passed Absolutely. away in October. Adore him. Oh. Absolutely adore him. And he had a career before Hagrid. Kids know he him really as, did. Gen Z <laughs> knows him as Hagrid, but he had an amazing career before that. Brilliant, brilliant actor. And Are you not entertained, L.A.? <laughs> Are you not entertained? <laughs> Sorry. Okay, to pull ahead for yeah. six points. Okay. What is the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow? <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound like so. A this is so wrong. Uh, it's very Monty Python esque and absurd. And after. Literally, like, I felt so good about myself. <laughs> and I can't win. I will, I will voluntarily... Well, do I get a point for this? I will voluntarily jump off the Bridge of Doom because I cannot <laughs> answer that. No. Um, all right, well, you're tied at five, and the appropriate answer is African or European swallow. Oh. <laughs> all right. I, I tried, guys. Trayvon, it is up to you to take... It's like the Get best four. prize I could possibly have ever come up with in my life. And you don't know what it is yet. But let's see. If you can get six points, what is your category? Um, 
what were they again? Uh, <laughs> uh, literature, movies, TV, theater, sci-fi, or Marvel DC? TV. All right. You picked the right one. <laughs> Who is the only actor to be in both seasons of White Lotus? Oh, Jennifer Coolidge. Oh, Jennifer Coolidge. That was, yeah. Awesome. Great, great season of television. I haven't seen season two yet. Oh. oh, no spoilers. No spoilers. <laughs> all right, I'm going to go see it now. <laughs> <laughs> I was literally okay. about to spoil it, but until the, all right. <laughs> all right, in Legally Blonde, Jennifer Coolidge plays Paulette, a manicurist who befriends Elle Woods. Paulette has a crush on the UPS guy. What flirting strategy? <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping somebody's going to demonstrate this. <laughs> what flirting strategy does L teach her? Uh, the bend and snap. Woo! Nicely done. Wait, are we? Allowed yeah, to he's not going to. He's not. No, there's no funny friends. I'm not paying any attention to what's going on. Two points. Okay, Trayvon. In the movie Best of Show, which, by the way, was directed by Jamie Lee Curtis's husband, Christopher Guest, Jennifer Coolidge's character is married to a very rich, very, very old man. Who plays her lover? Um, <laughs> Don't help him. Jane Lynch. Yes. Wow. Closing in on a three-way tie. Three points. Okay, Jane Lynch recently starred in a revival of Funny Girl on Broadway with Beanie Feldstein as Fanny Bryce, but she left the show when Feldstein was replaced by whom? Ooh, that's a deep cut. Oh, that girl from Glee that everyone hates. Yes! <laughs> um, what's her name? You uh, know, we don't even need to know. Leah that Mich was a perfect Leah description. Leah Michelle. Leah Michelle. Leah Michelle. Although, no, we have nothing against Leah Michelle here. For Leah no, Michelle's, I just fans. know everyone. Has to be problems. fair, for an alternate take, look at the documentary of uh, Spring Awakening. Okay, <laughs> in the film version, hey, how of many points does he have? Four. For a three-way tie, in the film version of Funny Girl, starring Barbara Streisand, who plays her husband, Nikki Arnstein? Oh, shush. <laughs> <laughs> She knows it. Um, Are you telepathic? If, if I. One hand. Well, the, what's. The, he, he was also. I can't believe I know this. He was also a doctor. <laughs> Who and, played a and friend of? Middle, uh, and Middle Eastern women and all women found him to be a heartthrob in the 60s. And he was also a friend of Lawrence. Oh, Lawrence. Omar Sharif? Yes. Oh, okay. Not Lawrence O'Donnell. I'm very, <laughs> I'm very disturbed by the fact that I knew that, by the way. Yeah. So, <laughs> no extra points. All right, All right we have a three-way tie. This is Woo! for the marbles. Okay. All right, Trayvon, are you ready? Yeah. How many women have speaking roles? And by the way, I think this, this movie is the reason that Alison Bechdel. Uh, ah! How many women? <laughs> how many women? have speaking roles in Lawrence of Arabia? Oh. Mm. 
big fat zero. Zero. That movie is why the Bechtel test exists. And we have not just our newest nerd, but our best nerd right now, Trayvon Free. Okay. Now, representing LA, representing nerds everywhere. And listen, we were struggling to come up with, with a prize that rose to the occasion because this is truly, I mean, you are inducted into the Nerd Avengers Hall of Fame with all of the rights and responsibilities that entails. <laughs> and there are many. You didn't read the fine print before. You know. I mean, no, I didn't. Sorry. Um, seriously, it wasn't until Donald announced that he was saving the world with non-existent trading cards that we were able to come up <laughs> with the prize, which is a 3D version of Donald saving the world with his very jealous dark Brendan energy with the laser beams coming out of his eyes standing in front of Rump Tower. <laughs> So, I mean, seriously, did you expect such an honor? I will, I will stand for you, sir. I will support. Seriously. I mean, Jen tried to lock me in the bathroom because she was going to steal the answers, so she won. This just extraordinary, extraordinary. Is this an NFT? Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't really exist. Wait, Mary, so, can you sign it? Yeah, Can we're you gonna, sign Donald's we, NFT? We are going to sign it with a silver Sharpie. Okay. We'll do it later. Um, so I, I don't know that there's any way to top that. So cool. Look at this. You don't really want it, do you? You want it? Okay. Would you rather have that or your Oscar? I'll trade. It's non-fungible. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. It's, it's not a white elephant, all right? It's his. It's non-fungible. He earned it. It's non-fungible. <laughs> There's no funging. <laughs> he won fair... Well, not quite. <laughs> I wanted him to win. <laughs> so, I don't think we can top that. I, do, I don't think we can. No. No? But does this inspire everybody... To be their best nerd self. Now I kind of feel like we should be like singing a Mr. Rogers song. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, we, we're basically coming to the end of our show, um, sadly. Like, this has been so incredibly cool. Um, because, you know, one of the reasons we wanted to do this is... Um, I don't, I don't know if you remember, but we've all been locked in our homes <laughs> for like two and a half years. Um, and it just, it just feels like we, we've lost a lot. Um, and one of the reasons the Nerd... Well, I don't even know if it was a reason the Nerd Adventure started, but I guess the reason it, it clicked... You know, I, I started a, a panel show in addition to my interview show. And eventually, it just made sense to have the same people come back until we sort of 
form this cohesive group of people who like really got along, really respected each other, and Brian. Um, <laughs> um, we do. We love Brian. Um, and but if if we, if he is ever on stage when we do this and he interrupts me, I may punch him. <laughs> I think I think I have. Um, no, but seriously, it, it it became an opportunity to feel connected in very isolating times, and getting to the and don't get me wrong, I'm still terrified of COVID, just like really terrified of COVID. But there there comes a point when you need to weigh the advantages and the disadvantages, and when you need to stop making concessions. Um, and having the opportunity to do this in person, just it just felt right. So we are all so incredibly grateful um, to the people at Dynasty Typewriter, to all of our friends at Politicon for helping us put this together. We're so grateful for you, to you, for you, for coming out. Um, and uh, risking the fact that we were going to suck completely. Because <laughs> this is new. This is new for us. Um, but I just want to uh, end with each one of these amazing people uh, just leaving you with something hopeful. Because you know we started off with anger, appropriate righteous anger. But it's really difficult to operate there all the time. So uh, Waj, how would you like to say goodbye? First of all, let's, well. First of all, let's give it up to Mary for doing it. She, uh, she overcame some initial stage fright. She got outside of her comfort zone. She was uncomfortable do doing a live show. She was blinded, literally blinded by the lights in, in rehearsal. She put on the shades, and she we didn't get her a saxophone, but I really wanted to. Uh, <laughs> and, and she came here, and she did it. So thank you to Mary for doing it. Yeah, my pleasure. And, and what people don't know is with the, the, the name that Mary has and what she Mary? says and how she has used her privilege to speak out against Donald and others, the type of hate she gets on, an, on a daily basis. People have no idea. And she was just showing us casually some hate mail during lunch, she gets it every day. So to have a crowd that comes out and supports our, I hope, robust and entertaining defense of democracy, thank you, Mary, for hosting it. And, and she did not pay me to say this. Uh, I'm really not. And, and uh, for the hopeful note, all. Uh, I'll end on this, uh, on this hopeful note. Like I said, I have three kids, uh, and I have to be hopeful because I have three children that I brought yeah. into this world, right? I cannot afford to be cynical or apathetic. And I want my kids one day, inshallah, if I'm old enough, uh, to look back and say, oh, at least Baba tried. And when it, when it gives me hope every day and what gives my, my wife and I hope every day is during the pandemic, my daughter was recovering from stage four cancer. And she had a full liver transplant. Yep. And she's now six. She got her ears pierced. She's a diva. She does MMA. She does two costume changes a day. She's cancer free. Her hair's come back. And the only way, that's so what I'll say, I'll end on this. The only way she was able to survive is because my wife had health insurance, because we got lucky, but because it took a community yeah. that invested in my daughter's health. Yeah. It took a community of people who came together, and 500 people, mostly strangers, stepped up to be a living donor for my mm. daughter. 
and it was one anonymous donor who stepped up and gave a piece of his liver, and now my daughter is here. So when people say be apathetic and be cynical, I'm like, I have a living miracle yeah. every day in my home. So no. Um, I'm so, I'm just so moved by that story, and I'm also going to talk about my kids. Um, I have two, and one happens to be here. Uh, she's 22 years old. Thank you, Emily, for coming all the way. And for helping. Uh, for helping. All the way from Philadelphia. And she thought this was going to be like a fun time with mom in Los Angeles. <laughs> and she soon found out that she became like my personal assistant running out. And, and, and mine. And Mary's and watches. And if anyone watches today on, um, on, on, uh, on the show on Nerd Avengers... Um, Emily was running around getting caffeine for everybody and like knocking on their their hotel room doors and making sure they they had what they needed and a bunch of other stuff. And I'm grateful that you're here. Thank you, Emily. Um, hope, right? That's what it is. We're talking about hope. Um, remember that? <laughs> yeah, remember hope. hope. Um, I I would say you know. We, we often remind ourselves that the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends toward justice. And the key part of that that we have to remember is it's up to us to bend it. Yeah. It doesn't right. bend on its own. Right. It's, not, it's not magic. It requires work. And I think as long as there are people like everyone in this room and people like everyone on this stage who are dedicated to, to bending that moral arc. I have so much hope for the future, for our, for our country and for our children. Awesome, thank you guys thank you. so much. To you, to the nerds. Uh, this is also for my kid, uh, Avery. Um, and we're gonna keep doing this. We're gonna keep doing this until, well, we're just gonna keep doing it forever, I think. <laughs> but the goal, remember, the goal, we bend, we bend the arc. And we turn this country into the democracy it has never been, right? So thank you so, so much. Trayvon Free, Jen Taub, Wajali, and all of you. Have a great night. Oh, yeah, that's fine.